Major support for Backstory is provided by the National Endowment for the Humanities. From the Virginia Foundation for the Humanities, this is Backstory with the American History Guys. Hey there, welcome to the show. I'm Brian Bellow, 20th Century Guy, and I'm here with Ed Ayers. The 19th Century Guy. And Peter Onuf. 18th Century History Guy. Hey guys, we've all been there. We've all watched historians get into deep water when they begin to forecast the future rather than mm. looking back to history. Yeah, wrong direction. Uh, so to underscore that point, I'm uh, just going to play a little clip for you. Listen to this. Today, the evolution controversy seems as remote as the Homeric era to intellectuals in the East. Today, intellectuals have bogeys much more frightening than fundamentalism in the schools. That's a passage from Anti-Intellectualism in American Life by the great historian Richard Hofstadter. And if it sounds dated, well, that's because it is. 1963 was when that book was published. Look around today, and the evolution controversy that appeared to be on its last legs 50 years ago, well, it's as alive as ever. In the past year, lawmakers in Missouri, Oklahoma, Tennessee, New Hampshire, Alabama, and Indiana have all considered legislation that would chip away, in one way or another, at the central place of evolution in public school biology classrooms. And it's not just lawmakers rejecting Darwin. Public opinion polls consistently find that just under half of Americans believe in the Bible's account of creation. Some of you listeners will no doubt say that the battle over human origins is here to stay, that there is an inherent tension between evolutionary theory and Christian religion. And so it might surprise you to learn that for much of American history, even after Darwin came along, practitioners of science got along just fine with practitioners of religion. So for the rest of the hour on today's Backstory, we're going to look at the way science and religion have interacted across all three of our centuries. And since the topic of evolution, especially when it comes to humans, is what dramatizes the apparent conflict between science and religion the most, we're going to focus on that today. How have our understandings about human origins evolved, so to speak, over time? Our story begins in the 18th century, right here in Backstory's hometown of Charlottesville, Virginia. As you probably know, Charlottesville was also home to Thomas Jefferson. I recently had the chance to visit Jefferson's home, Monticello, with our 18th century guy, Peter Onuf. So, Peter, it's really nice of you to take me back to the 18th century. Yeah, well... Peter and I were at Monticello to look at Jefferson's collection of bones. They're one of the first things you see when you enter the front hall, alongside maps, portraits, animal hides, and Native American artifacts. The bones are from animals that by Jefferson's time were extinct. But back then, people hadn't quite wrapped their heads around the whole concept of extinction. One other thing I should mention before we go any farther, Jefferson's religion can best be described as deism. That's the belief in a creator who set the world in motion the way a clockmaker makes a clock, and then, having created it, sits back to watch it tick away. Okay, let's go to the tape. And here we are on a level with these very interesting conversation pieces that people would then talk about. They say, Mr. Jefferson, what are we looking at here? Uh, they'd be a little shocked at these bones. These are not any bones, Peter. These are gigantic They are very bones. big, This is big not bones. from the family dog. <laughs> no, no, no. I think we're looking at the giant sloth. We're looking at the mammoth is the big thing here. So 
did Jefferson believe that there were current versions of these mammoths yeah, yeah, that's, that's wandering right. around, or did he begin to believe right, this right. newfangled no, theory no, of no, extinction? It's too newfangled. Jefferson believed if you had evidence of the existence of a mammoth, for instance, then that mammoth still might be out there roaming the West. And that's one of the incentives for the Lewis and Clark expedition. Really? You know, Enlightenment philosophers like Jefferson, natural philosophers, think that our great challenge is to uncover and read the book of nature that is of God's creation. And what we don't see now is because of the limitations on our sight that we have to overcome. For instance, we just don't know what's going on in the far western reaches right. of this continent because right. no civilized person has ever been there. So Peter, looking at these gargantuan bones, would that lead to a conversation about the creation yes. itself, or was that too controversial? Absolutely. Look around this room. You are looking at God's creation. These are symbols, examples of God's creation everywhere. And what God has created has always been and will always be. It's a perfect creation. In other words, we're not talking about this messy business of the succession of species across time, because if God really were the kind of clockmaker that the deists talk about, then he makes a clock. And it runs forever. And it runs forever. And I suppose that folks who believe that were very threatened at the notion of extinction, because yeah. if one part of that clock can right. disappear, wh another? what's going to go next? Yeah, exactly right. Peter, today, the term scientist is almost synonymous with specialist. Right. Is it fair to call Jefferson a scientist when he had such a global yeah. outlook no, about his natural science? That's, that's a great point, Brian. In Jefferson's day, you could not and should not draw distinctions between domains of knowledge anthropology, archaeology, botany, they're all part and parcel of the same large project because they're all part of a larger design. For Jefferson, the account of anything is an account of everything. To understand how a particular plant grows or an animal flourishes is to understand something about the larger design of God in nature. Peter, that's terrific, but i got to run to read the Journal of Sub-Saharan Econometrics. <laughs> All right,